You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on promoting Black unity worldwide through conversations that help us understand ourselves and each other. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bridge to You podcast. Today, we have Jennifer Tomlinson in the chair. Jennifer is all things goddess. She is committed to guiding people to find their pathways to their aspirations. She's a college professor of African-American studies. She's an interim dean of learning support, a success coach, a powerful speaker, and an activist. This lady will make you think critically about everything you see and hear, and I'm so excited to be speaking with her today. Jennifer, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me, Monique. Um, I'm still learning how to receive all that, you know, love and aspiration, so um, I'm taking it all in. I really appreciate that intro. (laughs) It's who you are. I'm so excited. (laughs) It is who you are. Thank you, and I'm so honored to be here um, to talk with you today. Awesome. So, Jennifer, let's talk about this. If you could be one place in the world right now, just one place, where would you choose to be and why? I would love to be in Japan. I've actually been wanting to go there for a while. I'm also um, a, bit of, a bit of a nerd. I really like anime and I watch Japanese dramas. <laughs> So um, I really been like interested in um, exploring like Japan's uh, landscape and natural environments and stuff. So I've always wanted to go. And so I actually started last year uh, mapping out on my whiteboard how I'm going to get there next year. So um, to answer your question, I really I really want to go to Japan. And that's really on my forefront right now to get there. And so that's exciting for me to kind of think about. Um, uh, all that, the planning and the processing, but actually getting there and actually being um, able to explore. That is fantastic. You know, I've heard so much about Japan and I would actually want to go there too. Everybody who's gone there, they've already said that they enjoy it. They love it. Mm -hmm. Just had a really good time. So it's amazing now. This is a perfect segue for us because you are thinking so globally and (laughs) having this curiosity to go and explore the different cultures, to consume media, and just have a deeper appreciation and understanding for um, other cultures. So how did you develop this mindset? Um, Like a global mindset? Yeah. Um, I Well, it might be the fact that just being a descendant of immigrants, you know, my Jamaican family migrating here to America and always knowing that I was multicultural. So from birth, obviously, I you know that 
you know to think globally because you innately are global. I don't like flying though. So there's that conundrum. <laughs> what? Um, How are you going to yeah. get there? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want to go all these places, but I don't like flying. And so my father in high school had really, um, uh, was pushing me to take advantage of the student abroad trips in high school. And I'm like, oh, I would love to go, but I always let my fear of the flight pull me away. And uh, I, I think that even at, as a young age, I also limited myself. I, I had this global potential, but I always was just like, no, I'm okay. I'll stay home or that's too much money or I'll just kind of do this. And I didn't really think of myself in a bigger way or what I could do or where I could go. And that's something that I wish I could have grown and fostered because it didn't hit me until graduate school. And I said, all right, well, let me stop, stop limiting myself. And I took advantage of my master's program and did a field study in Greece. And so that was my first eight hour flight. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah. When you go big, you go big. I go big. And I've flown like to Jamaica and the Bahamas and domestically, but I'd never been in a flight that was longer than like three hours. So, and at this point, you know, study abroad programs are more expensive in graduate school. This was coupled with a field study. So it was very expensive. I went to a very expensive school. So it's like, I wish I had taken advantage of this when I was younger and my father really encouraged, will try to encourage me. But he always still let into me. And at this point in my life, you know, as an adult, you just, you learn to stop being afraid. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where I'm at now. Um, and I've always thought of myself as part of the global community, but now I actually want to be an active part of it. Wow. You, you're saying so many things. I mean, I, when you said about, you know, just seeing yourself in a bigger way and not limiting yourself. And I'm thinking about this work that you've done and migrating to immigrating to the U.S. and just being a professor of African-American studies, when you think about seeing yourself in a bigger way or just being able to, like you say, not have this fear as an adult, can you tell me just a little bit about some of your observations um, in terms of the difference when you came over, just going through Mm -hmm. that journey with yourself and then what you encountered in the classroom? Yeah, my philosophy or my, um, the way I teach or coach is I want to help people do what I didn't do and take advantage of the things that um, I wish I had done. And so a lot of times I look through the lens of, wow, if I had really, if I could have really had seen my potential and where I could have gone, if I could have self-actualized what I looked like in the future, I could have been anything because you know you said all these wonderful things about me in the intro and I know that now that I'm awesome Uh, (laughs) but you have to (laughs) but you have to be able to conceptualize that and it doesn't matter how much someone else tells you that you're wonderful or you have these skill sets these are your natural talents this is your um you hear your abilities you have to self-actualize it and so although I was receiving really positive feedback from my parents I never I never self-actualized who I could have been. And so the pathways I chose were the easy pathways that, for example, I went to the school my brothers went to because that was the pathway that they led for me. I listened to my, um, you know, my elders about what I should do or couldn't do or, oh, or what I should do. And so in the beginning, I was like, okay, well, I'll be a doctor because that's what Jamaicans do. Uh, and then I, you know, after biology, I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot of times people only limit themselves because they, you know, you're ignorant to what you could be. And those that are very successful have the, the ability to visualize in their brain who they can be, what it looks like, where they're at, all the things that they can do, the impact they can have on others. And then they create steps and pathways to get to this vision. But if you don't have that vision or any vision, you'll just do what's in front of you and then have to learn the hard way. So for me, like I'm at that place now, but wow, I had so much untapped potential in my teenage years and my twenties. I can only imagine all the dope things I'm doing now. What if I had started early? Uh, but I don't let that discourage me either because people come to their place where, you know, whatever part of their life that they come to. And so for whatever reason, God said it fit for me to be at this place now. I had to experience some things. I had to go through it that way so that I could be my best self now. And I'm okay with that. And I've accepted that. But when I see potential in others, I make sure that I help people really see or create um, opportunities for people to try and actualize, self-actualize themselves so that they can hopefully tap into things that I wish I could have tapped into when I was their age or younger. Mm, you said so much here. Like these pathways, we tend to choose the pathways that are the default for us. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if your parents and going to, this is what all Jamaicans did and this yep. is the school that your brother went to. And I think that's so interesting that we just tend to, pick up and pass on you know things from the default without actually just stopping for a moment and thinking okay how can I see myself in a bigger way and how can I create a pathway for myself in a bigger way and I know that as you have been teaching you know African-American studies do you feel that the, the students and the groups that you are exposed to and you have the opportunity to guide do you see that that's a challenge as well for Black people to see themselves as bigger and more and strong and powerful than all the things that you are now experiencing as an adult? Yeah, 100%. And I also teach another course called New Student Experience. So it's a freshman course. All students at the institution I work for have to take this class within their first year. And um, a lot of it is, uh, it's a lot of life planning. So we talk about things like purpose, career exploration, academic planning, and we even do a little financial planning. And so in the beginning of that course, uh, we have conversations about uh, motivation and um, college attitude. And every professor or you know, even teacher will tell you the real struggle is to teach motivation and attitude. You can't, I, I can't put up a PowerPoint and say, you should be motivated to go to college. That's something that innately should come from you. And so for me, it's the struggle of, well, how can I help? I see this this person, this black or brown person in front of me. I see the qualities, the innate talent and the potential. How can I help motivate them? And um, it's almost like a, it's a a laborious process because I can't teach that, you know? What I can do and what I've settled on, because if you try to go into teaching and education with like, I have to get this person motivated and they don't do it, you'll be disappointed and think that you're a failure. So you have to kind of as an educator reframe your, you know, what you actually can do for someone. So for me, if I can at least plant a seed, um, then I've done my job. So you might not be motivated in my class. In fact, you might fail my class. But if I've planted a seed that will grow later that you come back, 
or you figure out in the next class or you drop out and you come back years later when you've grown up and then the motivation is there, then I've done what I could do. Um, because it is difficult to self-actualize, to be self-aware, to look at yourself in a global community and think beyond you know, what I have to do today to survive. It is very difficult to do that. And I think about W.E.B. Du Bois, he talks about the metaphor of pulling back the veil. It's a, that process is difficult. And a lot of that just, it's a mixture of formal education, informal education, experience, and having people in your corner um, to mentor you. And so it, it's difficult, but it's, it's the type of work that some of us are called to. Um, and like I said, for me, it's all about, if I can't do it in this class, I know that I've at least planted a seed to help you and enlighten you to help you get there later. That's always my goal going into the classroom. Mm. This is so um, enlightening because, you know, motivation, we know that it drives us to take actions and it drives us when we see ourselves in different ways, it drives us to really kind of achieve our goals. So I'm wondering, have you, have you ever had a student or someone that it felt so easy to inspire them? Mm -hmm. um, and if you could share a, an, an example of what that process looked like. Oh, uh, I have so many students that linger. Uh, they don't go away. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one person in particular that comes to mind is, because I'm so proud of him, um, before I was a professor, I um, was an academic advisor for a bridge program for, and it's a, it was a scholarship program for at-risk students. And so we bring them in, give them, pay for their college, and also provide um, resources to help them be successful, recognizing that they had risk factors that would possibly make them unsuccessful. And so one of those things was they were provided a personalized advisor. So I had a cohort of students. I had just come on. And the advisor that a student had before, he wanted to go to law school. And so the advisor recommended that he do political science. And I said, well, do you like political science? And he's like, not really, Ms. Jennifer, I hate, I, I, you know, it's not like I hate it, I'm passing the classes, but I just, it's not my thing. And I said, well, you don't need that for law school if you, and then everyone knows that you can actually do any degree for law school. And so this black male in front of me, I said, I, I don't want to lead you in a particular path, but most people are very successful in law school if they've done a liberal arts degree, like philosophy or humanities. And I said, take this philosophy class if you want to. I don't want you to do it if you don't, because if you fail, I don't want you to blame me. <laughs> but I had this young Black man take this philosophy class, come back and say, Miss Jennifer, I love philosophy. So I'm sitting here like chills about to cry because I'm a humanities major. I love all those things, philosophy, culture, all that stuff. And I'm we like, we need all of it. And we need black philosophers. So I'm sitting here like almost in chills, like, okay, so what do you want to do? <laughs> do you want to do a degree in philosophy or do you want to stick with political science? And long story short, he ended up going to FSU, getting his philosophy degree, going to one of the better uh, law schools in Ohio, just finished. And, and he used to come back to Orlando and say, Ms. Jennifer, can I hang out with you? I just want to, um, you know, get you, pick your idea on this idea, pick your brain on this idea. I introduced him to a pre-law advisor at Rollins College. So he had like a, that was my mentor. So he became his indirect mentor, another Black male. And so for him to finally say, Ms. Jennifer, I did it. I got my law degree. Obviously, like I'm crying uh, because we came from the same 
neighborhood in Orlando, Pine Hills has the nickname of Crime Hills. All of us could have been statistics. And to know that I inspired this young man to pursue philosophy so that the earth could have more black philosophers and to encourage him to take classes on ethics so that hopefully he's an ethical lawyer. <laughs> um, I just, you know, it just makes me feel like God really allowed me to have particular people cross my paths for me, you know, for me to be a better person and so that I could also pour into others. So he pours into me just as much as I pour into him. So I want to give a little shout out to Gary, you know, uh, love you. <laughs> and shout I'm out to Gary. We are celebrating you, King. We are celebrating our philosopher <laughs> here. Jennifer, this is so powerful. So I heard you say, Brit pretty much to inspire and to motivate and to stimulate that thing from within. It requires exposure. It requires not a push. This is your path, but here is a recommendation or here is a suggestion based on what you saw within him and the potential that he has. So when you talk about the whole Black philosophy thing, that really piqued my interest. So take me into your world a little bit in terms of this Black philosophy. What do you mean? And if if you could give um, the community something to transform their lives in terms of understanding Black philosophy, what, what would you share? So when I mentioned that we need more Black philosophers, I was just talking about in reference to a field that is dominated by white thinkers. So when I did my humanities program, I was the only Black woman or Black person in the entire program towards this, uh, the junior and senior level courses. In my master's program, I was one of two Black people, and we were both women, in the entire graduate program. Wow. The entire graduate program. I got a master's of liberal, um, of liberal studies at Rollins College. Love that, love that program, love the people in the faculty, but it's a field dominated by white voices. So, um, and it's not a field we would gravitate to. And you, we talk, we're talking about motivation and how hard it is to motivate people. Well, it's hard to motivate people when they don't have just basic needs met. How can I really judge you for not coming to class if you need to go to work to feed your child. I can't judge that. And so there's, there's motivation in people to come, like there's an innate maybe spark, but the, the spark doesn't turn into a flame because you have to eat, you have to maintain, um, a, you know, you have to pay your bills. And there are certain basic needs that a lot of black and brown people don't have met that will hold their motivation or their attention away. And so why would a black person pick a philosophy degree? They don't, they're not studying just for the love of it, which is what education should be. Study the things that you want to study or the things that you're good at. They pick degrees that are gonna to lead to careers to hopefully transform, them, transform their lives. And so that's why certain disciplines are heavily dominated by um, you know, white voices. And so uh, that's why it was, gave me the tingles to see that the potentially with this, with my mentee, that we could get another Black voice if he picked that up. So that's why I brought that up and why it was, I was so really proud of him for going down that route, just because a lot of us don't end up in those disciplines, you know, and, and those are the reasons why. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing about it is, it, 
right now, these are the things that we need to focus on and specialize in. Critical thinking, creativity, innovation, the future of learning is pretty much these are the tools we need in order to succeed. So just being able to have those uh, different voices will give different views, different aspects, different opinions. And I know prior to this, I had um, listened to one of your shows and you were talking about the, something like the difference between ethnicity mm. and race. And just that conversation and that topic in and of itself is something that we have to think critically of. So tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Like, what yeah. is that? What, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that video you're referencing is a snippet of a bigger workshop that I give. The premise of the workshop is to really think deeply about how you see yourself so that you can adequately see others. And then that would help you engage in cultural conversations accurately and properly. And so that video, the video you saw was a snippet from that workshop that really is just, so let's clarify some terms because we're saying things and we're using words interchangeably and we're using words to come in in conversations and to exit conversations based on how we see ourselves. And then we might not be having an accurate conversation or we might not be treating a culture properly. So um, there are three ways, there are multiple ways you can identify yourself, but there are three ways that people can racially codify themselves. And that's through the term race, ethnicity, or nationality. And sometimes we use those terms interchangeably, even though they mean different things. For example, if I'm talking about black issues in a space and someone comes in and says, well, I'm Brazilian, I wanna participate. They're approaching the conversation based on their nationality and not their race. And so they can participate because we potentially could be experiencing the same or same levels of, of oppression, but we have to make sure that we are distinct in what we're talking about. So for race, there's only two races. I know people kind of get confused with this, but there are two races, black and white. And then there's ethnicity so that, you know, you could be Hispanic, you can be Jewish. There are multiple ethnic ethnicities in the continent of Africa that are differentiated by their language or similar cultures. Um, and then you have nationality, right? Like I'm, I'm American, I'm Jamaican, I'm whatever. Some of us can have all three. So for me, I am a black Jamaican descendant that uh, ethnically I could be, you know, maybe Hispanic, right? Um, so someone could have all three identities. Some could only have one. People could say, well, I'm just black. You know, I'm just white. Uh, I don't know my ethnic heritage or mm. I don't feel connected to my nation so I don't ever lead with or I don't ever, ever think about my nation first so those are the three terms that people use interchangeably when they're distinctively different and you can't have clear understanding and clear accurate conversations until you make those distinctions oh this is this is okay so we going to school here today <laughs> so so is there a, so the limitation, how does this limit us in connecting with each other and connecting with ourselves? Yeah, so it can affect the way you see yourself. So I'll give an example, uh, and it can affect the way we treat others. And the example I usually use is um, some people who might have an ethnic identity, but really don't have a racial one, could use their ethnicity to enter in cultural conversations and say, well, see, I want to be a part of this. And then also use that as a ticket to say, I don't want to have this conversation because I'm okay, not. Okay, wait, stop there. Like, what are the elements that 
um, describe or determine somebody's race? Yeah, it's it's a made up concept. And you'll hear you've heard people say it's a social construct. It's made up and just as made up as it was uh, 400 years ago or 800, 600 years ago. It's just as arbitrary now. There are no real things that make you anything other than the color of your skin um, or how you present. So um, people think, talk about how after um, the slaves were freed in 1863, that some of the slaves that presented white tried to assimilate. Although they might've been descendants of slaves, they were racially appearing white. And so they tried to assimilate, right? They tried to live a life of a white person. And if they got caught, then they were arbitrarily categorized as black, even though they look white because of the one drop rule. Well, I know your great grandmother was black, so you're black. It really is an arbitrary system. It really, it, it doesn't mean uh, anything. Yeah. This is so powerful because when we talk about how you see yourself, because mm-hmm. even I, I'm thinking just in terms of, you know, my own interactions, I've never led with the fact that I am black first. Um, and I never saw it as a, like a limitation, um, mm-hmm. if you will. But in, in our quest to con- continue and deepen our conversations with people, I guess, what would you say, how would you want us to see ourselves that would help us to be empowered and not um, disempowering? Because as we're moving now in the future and things are changing, you know, yeah. What what views can help us um, see ourselves in a, in an empowering way? Yeah, uh, I, I, it's not my recommendation to say you should see yourself racially first or ethnically first for based on the nation you come from or any other way. I think that you see yourself the way you see yourself, and that's fine. Whatever you lead with first, that's fine. You just need to be aware of it and be very, very um, and own it. Be very cognizant of, I always see myself Black first. Why? What messages or education did I receive consciously or subconsciously that makes me see myself this way first? When you come into that self-awareness, it just helps you, um, it helps you know how, uh, how, you, how you really um, are engaging in the world. If I see myself as a Black woman first, I got to think about it. Well, why do I always lead with black woman? Where did that come from? Why and uh, did my mother teach me that, or did my past experiences affect me in a way that made me see myself that way? And then, if I can own it, I'll either own it in honor and grace and operate in that way, or I might have some things I need to clean up. Like, wow, I, I didn't realize I was traumatized, and that's why I see myself this way first. I need to do some healing and some restoration. Once you see yourself, the other part of self-awareness isn't just how you see yourself, it's to really understand how others see you. So it's a two-way combination of how I see myself and how I understand how others perceive me. So if I know I'm a Black woman and I'm Black, strong, educated, and powerful, but I enter a world where that's not met, I have to, you know, that's not, that doesn't match, I have to reconcile that, right? And I have to live that life. Once that self-awareness happens, then I can see others clearly because I see myself clearly. I know where others are. I know when I see someone that presents themselves ethnically first or racially first or gender first or whatever identity first, I can consider the context, right? Because I've been through that experience. 
um, and I understand the terms and what's happening, that I can meet them where they're at. Mm. And therefore, I used to use the word empowered already. Um, you know, I can be I'm more empowered to facilitate a conversation because I'm coming from a place of, of wholeness mm. and not coming from a place of deficiency or, or, or ignorance. And even if the person is coming to me in ignorance, I could also actually help make up for what they're lacking, right? Because I'm, I'm empowered in the conversation, but I'm coming from a place of fullness and I can help that person see, be enlightened and I can teach. So um, it's not about me telling people, well, you should be, you know, you should be identifying as a man first or a race first. It's you need to come how you are, but know why wow. you did. You are teaching us today. Okay. First of all, like that is so fabulous. Listeners, bridge to you listeners. I don't know about you, but that just gave me some chills. I've been taking some notes. Jennifer is taking us to school today. So you hear that when you have see yourself from that place of wholeness and you start and you go deeper and you understand why am I seeing myself this way? Is it empowering? Is it disempowering? If it is disempowering, now how do I reconcile that? How do I choose to clean it up? And that now gives us the power to be empowered in additional cultural conversations. So we don't have to feel like, you know, oh, I can't have a conversation because this person is different from me because now I'm coming from a place of wholeness. Jennifer, I just can't thank you enough for this lesson that you gave us today. I see why you are the Dean of learning and success. Like seriously, I definitely see why you are the Dean. You are helping us to really move forward in the future. So I just wanna say thank you so much. And um, for our listeners, do you have any uh, parting words or closing words that you'd like to share? Parting words. I guess I'll just share, um, just based on our conversation before we started recording, um, everyone, if you feel like you're missing opportunities right now, or things aren't going your way, or you're feeling discouraged, just hold on. If you're planting your seeds, they will grow, and the time will demonstrate that. So keep, be motivated. That's what the theme is a little bit for today. Keep motivated, keep working, keep planting seeds, keep doing awesome work. Um, and your time will come. It'll, your, your garden will grow for sure if you're doing good work. Your garden will grow. Once again, thank you so much, Jennifer. And where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you and follow you on social media? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I am on Instagram. You can follow me at Jen, J-E-N Singh, S-I-N-G, Jen Singh, 777. You can also follow my podcast on Instagram at be woman be well and um, my podcast black woman be well is on all audio platforms please check us out on youtube as well we'd love to have you and all of this information is at my website blackwomanbewell.com yeah so fantastic and i'll definitely put those in the show notes as well Guys, I hope you have been inspired like I have been inspired. This podcast is for you. Bridge to you, unity and understanding. I hope you got understanding today and definitely feel united. Don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your mom, share it with your cousin, share it with everybody that you know. Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. 
visit clairecommunicationsolutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell, or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.